Hello, and welcome to One Single Thought, the podcast where two Christian single women take theological deep dives and bring perspectives on life mixed with levity and joy. Heather, it is episode 20. Really? 20. 20. We've hit another milestone, episode 20. And it's also the month of March, which is Women's History Month. It is. Do you know any history about how that got started? I've heard it, but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. So back in 1980, President Carter declared the week of March 8th as National Women's History Week. Now we see March 8th as the International Day of Women. And six years later, the U.S. expanded that to a month for National Women's History Month under President Reagan. That's a really good segue into our topic today. So this topic today, um, I was cleaning out some stuff because I, I moved to a new place. And so I found an, an essay I had written back in my 20s, so a long time ago. And I wrote it about Christian women and how their attitudes towards Christian men aren't really the best. I will talk more about that a little bit later. But it got us thinking about this. I told Rose about it. I shared it with her and we thought it was really good. Just some insights that I had even that young. I couldn't believe that I I thought the things that I thought. But I guess it was just right there in front of me. It was very well written, by the way. Yeah. I don't have it with me, so I can't read it. But it did make us think about the culture that we live in today and the, the views on women and how women have been elevated so much in society society to the point where things have almost gotten distorted in terms of male and female relationships and and not just in marriage but just across the board from political positions to workplace relationships to the roles in the church so the structure of men and women in our culture has been kind of upended in recent years. And so we thought we would talk a little bit about, considering that it is Women's History Month and there's a huge focus on it right now, we thought we would talk a little bit about the history of the feminist movement, how that started, and then talk about how the culture has, should I say, perverted what God's um, Mm -hmm. design for men and women, how it's changed that and confused a lot of Christians and led us to believe things that may not really be true. And so that leads us to our one single thought today, which is, very simply put, the culture is lying to you. The culture is lying to you. All right, let's start with the history of the feminist movement, Rose. And this is riveting. It is actually pretty exciting, but let's talk a little history here. It is riveting. If you do research on the feminist feminism movement, it actually has come in four waves, and we are currently in the fourth wave. So the first wave of feminism started in July of 1848 in Seneca Falls, New York, and they there was conducted the Seneca Falls Convention for Women's Rights, and they even wrote like a declaration that re- that read a lot like our Declaration of Independence, speaking that men and women were created equal. And then the women's suffrage movement kind of led into the end of the first wave, or started and continued the first wave in 1920 when women received the right to vote. But the original Seneca Falls Convention was to allow for women to have equal rights as men, to be able to own land, to be able to vote, to be able to do jobs that men do. Well, the second wave of feminism began in the early 70s. In 1972, 
the right to abortion came through the Supreme Court case of Roe versus Wade, which we know was just overturned last year. The feminism of the early 70s also included rights for sex workers. So there were women who were working the streets and they wanted equal rights. They wanted their job to be recognized. There was a lot of anti-pornography movement at that time. And so that was considered the second wave. The third wave of feminism came in the early 90s. And I really think this is a pivotal moment where I think the feminist feministic movement began to really take a different turn and, and maybe overcorrect a little bit. Anita Hill accused Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas of sexual harassment. And so therein began sort of another wave of feminism where women were then coming out of the woodwork and talking about the ways they were being sexually abused, the sexual harassment they were receiving. And, you know, I'll just speak for Heather and I. I mean, we are anti that. That shouldn't happen. That's not an appropriate way to look at women. So we're not saying that that was incorrect. I think as we see this third wave, I think you really begin to see a lot of things coming to light that were happening behind the scenes. And then, ironically, the fourth wave hasn't been, hasn't been going on that long. It started around 2012, and it was very much centered around social media, gender identity. Um, a lot of the LGBTQ issues were being represented at that point. I think a bigger wave of sexual abuse and harassment came forth. We, we began to see that even in the churches, and we've seen that even as recent as the last couple of years. The Me Too movement. The Me Too movement mm -hmm. was part of that. And, you know, we even see that in the, the impact of the feminist movement and what it's had in television shows over the years. If you look at a comedy from the 80s compared to a comedy in the 2000s or the 90s, even, you see men really being portrayed as complete buffoons. and Even in commercials. Yeah, even in commercials. Yeah. yeah. And so you begin to see the tide turn. And the way I would describe it is the feminist movement started out, on a, I think, on a right path to give women equality that they really deserve. Because... And we'll talk about that later. I mean, that's, that'll be, that's biblical. We were created equal to men, but we were created differently. But I think sometimes when you start to correct things, you can swing too far to one side and overcorrect and crash. So for example, when I first began to drive, the first time I made a turn, I didn't realize how my car would swerve because I over, I overdid it. I over did it. And then when I went to correct, I overcorrected and I ended up, you know, almost running into a telephone pole on the opposite side of the street instead of kind of bringing it back into the center of the road. And I think the original intent of those feminists in the 1800s and early 1900s had a, had a good vision and a good mission. And because mm -hmm. of, must I say, sin in the world, mm -hmm. other things occurred that caused an overcorrection that then caused kind of a spiraling down of, you know, women being a quote unquote oppressed and a lot of times the whole male species being looked at as buffoons. So Heather, we've talked about the, the worldview and, and how feminism looks there. According to scripture, where did it start with women in scripture and where did things start to spiral down? Well, if you look back all the way back to the beginning, back to Genesis, we see how God created the world, that he created Adam and Eve. He created them for each other, for a man and a wife to be together, that that was a good relationship and that there was a good intent behind it. And in Genesis 3, we see sin come into play 
when Eve is tempted by the serpent and she takes the forbidden fruit, she shares it with Adam. And because of their sin, the serpent, the woman, and the man are all cursed. In Genesis 3, verse 16, God curses the woman um, because of her sin. And he says, I surely will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And so depending on what translation you read, that phrase right there, your desire shall be contrary to your husband or your desire should be for your husband some say your desire shall be to control your husband. What it's saying there that Hebrew is saying that there's going to be strife in the male and female, particularly the husband and wife relationships. There's going to be conflict there that goes all the way back to the fall of humankind when Adam and Eve sinned. And so we see that played out throughout the Bible, but also through throughout history where women are oppressed, especially in the ancient cultures and throughout history, they're trying to be freed from that, but then also going overboard to the point where they're wanting to be in control of men and push them down. And so that is really just reflecting on going all the way back to Eve and to where she is, she receives the punishment for her sin and how that is passed down throughout the generations to male and female relationships and to women on how they're going to be constantly striving to not only uh, control their husbands and to be equal with their husbands, but also that plays out into society and how male and female relationships across the board are seen in our culture and our society. So Heather, I think a lot of times when people look at the passage about where original sin happened, where Eve was deceived... A lot of people put a lot, of, a lot more bearing on the fact that Adam, it was Adam's responsibility as her husband to be there and not to fall into that same trap. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who says, well, Eve got punished when maybe Adam should have got punished? Well, Adam did get punished because if you continue reading in Genesis 3, he's cursed because he's listened to the voice of his wife. You've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you turn to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So... (laughs) Yes, he was was cursed as well. (laughs) Well, and And work in his work, but then also death. Yes, he was. He received the curse of death, which was extended to Eve as well as a human. So Heather, I mean, wouldn't you say that Eve, before the sin entered the world, I mean, Adam wasn't over Eve. Like I think we get that incorrect because the husband wasn't over the wife. Yeah, she was created as a helper. Yes, she was a helper, mm-hmm. but that the part of the curse that came because of her sin was that she would be under the rule the of rule her of husband. Man, yes, and so mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we forget that the garden, which was was perfect, what it really was like. I mean, that wasn't Adam was responsible for himself; Eve was responsible for herself, mm-hmm. and so they both got punished because of that. Yeah, because if you look back in in Genesis two, when God created Eve, it was it was a very good thing. God mm-hmm. did create a helper. He didn't see any comparable creature from the animals that would fit 
mm-hmm. Adam, and so he creates a woman from Adam, mm-hmm. takes her from his his rib and creates her. And so there is a very good and lovely purpose in the creation of the woman. And she was not created to be under his rule. Mm-hmm. She was there to be a compliment to him, to be a helper for him. And then it says at the end of chapter two that the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and that shall become one flesh. And it says the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So just talking about the holiness of the marriage relationship of that covenant and how it was created to be good and and beautiful and holy and so and then in chapter three when they sin that brings in this whole element of strife and Mm -hmm. conflict between them where the woman is wanting to control and maybe even manipulate her husband Mm -hmm. and so she can rule over him in situations but what it's saying here in verse in in chapter three is that it's not going to be the case the man is going to rule over the woman Mm -hmm. and so we see that like i said we see that playing out in our marriage relationships today we see that constantly we hear about it all the time whether you're a christian or not even in christian marriages there's conflict and strife there but We can see that conflict of just in general of women wanting to overtake and overpower men, um, even if they don't realize it, um, they're moving in that direction. And so we do see, like, I think we, I think I said this a little bit ago, but we, we do see in the old Testament, how women were treated pretty much, they were treated like property. Mm -hmm. They were, um, there's several passages talking about how to handle virgins and the price for them and all of that. Even in the time of Jesus, women were not allowed to be taught. We know that, at least in the the ancient times and biblical times, their position was not really that great. Rose, when somebody's reading the Bible, they're in the Old Testament. Maybe say they're in the Deuteronomy 22. Mm. And they talk about someone who sleeps with a woman. And if they're caught then they have to pay her father 50 shekels of silver and then she can be his wife. But then reading later on in the New Testament where Paul's talking about women should not be speaking in church, um, which is a whole other topic we'll try to touch on a little bit. If somebody's reading that and they think, oh, the Bible is too misogynistic for me. There's just too much in here that's pushing women down. What would you say to them? So we're going to cover some of what... Heather talked about later about women uh, in marriage and and speaking in church, and we'll we'll speak to that in a little bit. But the first thing I would probably say to someone like that is that you know you've got to read the whole of Scripture to truly really understand what Jesus came to do. And I would tell someone to focus on the New Testament, read the New Testament, and read the way that Jesus viewed women. Uh, we can start with. Uh, the genealogy of Jesus. So in Matthew chapter one, there's a whole genealogy of, of Jesus and his, basically his ancestry.com tree mm-hmm. is right there in Matthew chapter one. And within his own g- genealogy, there was, a, was Rahab and she was a prostitute. There was Ruth and she was a Moabitess who the, the people of Moab worshiped other gods, but Ruth um, followed the one true God. So there were many, there were other women's Tamar, other ones in his genealogy, but not only were those type of women, those types of women mentioned, but the fact that women, women were even named, mm-hmm. um, that's huge because women really didn't have identities in the Old Testament. And we see when we look at 
the feminist movement about how women, you know, didn't have their names on credit cards and all that stuff. I mean, you see how it has evolved where women have become more viewed as more valuable in the world. But Jesus always saw them as valuable. Jesus came to bring the gospel, which is that anyone who believed in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. And it wasn't just for the Jewish nation but also for the Gentiles, the people that were not Jewish. And so Jesus also ministered to many women in while he served in his ministry here on earth. One is the Samaritan woman. Samaritans were looked down on as, as lower class citizens. And Jesus met her at the well and spoke to her and, and shared the good news with her, shared that he was a living water. There was a woman with the issue of blood. She'd been bleeding for 12 years and she crawled through the crowd just to touch his garment and he felt the power go out of him and then even up to his death there were women at the crucifixion mary magdalene mary the mother of jesus and other women that were there as he was killed on a cross then when we get to the tomb mary magdalene uh, another mary not his mother came to the tomb to prepare his body and then we know there were women at the resurrection. Mary Magdalene, for, for one, who has been here now for throughout his ministry, was at the crucifixion, was at the tomb, and then went and was there after his resurrection. And Jesus, the resurrected Lord, spoke to him, spoke mm -hmm. to her. And she knew exactly his voice when she heard him say her name. So that's what the Bible teaches. If you believe the Bible is is the truth, which we do, if, if, if you're a believer, you believe the Bible is true, then we see how God allowed all these women to be a part of the story of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that is completely opposite of the culture of that time. So when you read those things, you have to see that you may say that, you know, there's law in Deuteronomy that is crazy about bribe prices and all those things. But that was the culture of the time. And Jesus came to bring freedom through mm -hmm. him. Now, Jesus resurrected. Well, then what happened? Well, there were a lot of women in the early church in the book of Acts that played pivotal roles uh, in the church. Priscilla, Lydia. Lydia was a, a working woman who used her funds to support the early church. She housed Paul and, and those who traveled with him. Phoebe was a, a leader in the church. Dorcas, I mean, when she was so prevalent in the, in the early church that when she died, the widows would just stand around her bed weeping mm -hmm. because of all that she had done for the church. So I think all in all, we see that that culture at that time, 2000 plus years ago, you wouldn't have seen women's names even written in you hear a lot of progressive Christians talk about the patriarchy and how well, women are not named in the Bible enough. And you know, there's not a lot of them named. Praise the Lord that we have who is named. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, they wouldn't even have been named at all if, this, if, if yeah. Jesus had them as part of his ministry. So as we, as we look at scripture and we look at Old Testament, New Testament, before Christ and Christ, after Christ came, we know that Christ came to fulfill the law. And so the law that we read in the Old Testament, Christ came to fulfill it. And so you can't consider the Bible mis misogynistic unless you read it in its totality and see mm -hmm. Jesus from the beginning. We know Jesus is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, but you've got to read the whole story to understand that women were considered precious in the Lord's eyes and were pivotal 
They were the first ones to hear of his resurrection. They were the first ones to see the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene was the first to talk to Jesus post-resurrection. So that alone is pretty powerful support of women. So Heather, how does the culture portray women as it compares to scripture? It's very different. (laughs) Our culture. That's an understatement. Yeah. The feminist movement, which... I will say there's some good things that came out of it, such as yep. the, the right to vote, protection from abuse. I think the women, especially in the 1800s, early 1900s, there there was some good intent there mm-hmm. and some reasonable expectations that came out of that. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the right to vote that I, you know, I can own property and, and do those kinds of things and not, not worry about retaliation, that I can have my own credit card. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's some good things that came out of that. I do think that as the feminist movement moved on through the 20th century, that as you were mentioning, as you gave us the history earlier, there's a lot of ideologies that grew out of that, like sex without consequences and abortion and and eventually into gender identity and all those kinds of things that just really muddy the waters and then also give into some very anti-biblical thoughts and ideals. And so the feminist movement definitely has influenced uh, where we are now and we're, we're still in that. I mean, that's, you know, we're in the, I guess you said we're in the fourth wave now. Right. We're in the fourth um, wave right now. On the other hand, that another good thing that's come out of the, the later waves of the feminist movement is that some women's issues have been brought to light so we talked about sexual harassment and assault there have been things that have been swept under the rug mm-hmm. people tend to um, in the past have dismissed claims um, one example is the whole Ravi Zacharias mm-hmm. scandal he's passed away now and if you don't know about that you can google it it's all over the mm-hmm. internet what happened with him a couple years ago before he passed away but I know when he was originally accused um, by that woman of sexual misconduct that people were jumping to his defense and dismissing her claims as she was just trying to get money out of him or whatever you know we found out later that he was in grievous sin and in, in doing way more than just this inappropriate email relationship he had with her. So we do need to acknowledge that there are some pretty heinous things that women have gone through with sexual harassment from leaders, especially in the church that have been overlooked and dismissed. I want to say that even though I think the Me Too movement was overblown um, and that some honest men were canceled. (laughs) Um, I think it did give people courage to come up and say what had happened to them in the past. On the other hand, I will say, like you you said, we've overcorrected, that there have been women who have accused all men of no matter who they are, no matter how upstanding they are, men who would never do anything intentionally harmful to anyone who would be very grieved that they known they had hurt someone. Women have been very quick to dismiss um, or to cancel those men or Mm -hmm. to accuse them and destroy their careers, destroy their lives because of accusations that weren't true. I think it's just been distorted to now it, it, it it's when i hear an accusation in the news it's it's really hard to know okay is she telling the truth right or is he telling the truth is that he said she said unless there's evidence there because there is just so confusing now 
everyone's just so quick to get offended and to cancel everyone without any kind of evidence to, to support it. And that's mostly a social media problem mm-hmm. where someone will come out and say something against somebody and then they they end up destroying a person's life before they even know the facts. It's all feeding from this idea that has kind of grown over the years, especially recent years, that in general, all men are bad or all men are oppressive or oppressors, that women as the oppressed uh, group are to be empowered and to be lifted up and to be basically the ideal. Although we can't really define what a woman is for some reason now. I don't know why that's so hard, but... (laughs) That's a whole other podcast yeah, we can and, do. And now men want to be women and it's it gets it's just so confusing right now and it doesn't need to be confusing. But as you can see, if you look all the way back to Genesis, <laughs> it predicted it and this is what's happened. This whole the whole male female interaction, that whole relationship has been flipped on its head and perverted and distorted. And sin has come in from both sides, from men and women, accusations, sin towards each other, abuse from each other. Yeah, the culture has just, has just blown it up into where, to where now women don't need men, men are oppressors, and you're better off without them, girl power and all that. (laughs) I think, I think you're right, Heather. It's sort of an all or nothing. In the current state of our culture, women are always the champion men are always the villain and while many men are the villain and they are mm-hmm. rightly accused i think we can't throw all men in the same mm-hmm. in that same bucket and that's so why i think it's important that women can be free to to share these abuses but i think men need to be as well i mean men yeah. you know men are equally at risk of, to be abused by women but it just shows how things can be overcorrected and swing way to the other end. And mm-hmm. now I think it would be very hard to be a man who is now looked at as everything you've done is everything, anything, every man should have to pay for what one, one out of three men may be yeah. instead of focusing just on those that are in the wrong. Well, and if you're a man, you're not even allowed to speak because you're not, you're not allowed to have an opinion because you're a man and you're the oppressor and... Right. So we basically flipped it, but we flipped mm-hmm. it too far in the in the other direction. Mm-hmm. What about believers? How have believers misinterpreted scripture and how it speaks about women? The first thing we need to remember is that the Bible speaks about roles of women, specifically women as wives and women in leadership roles in the church. Now, the Bible doesn't say that a woman can't be a manager over women in the workplace. The Bible doesn't say that. The way the Bible explains a role of a woman is specifically mm-hmm. in the marriage relationship and in roles in the local church. So I want to read a, a, a couple of passages. The first is Ephesians five twenty two through 25, which says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, usually that's where we stop. But if we go on and read 24 and 25, it says, Mm -hmm. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Mm 
So a lot of times we focus on the wife submitting to your husbands as, you know, the wife is being oppressed. But if we read on through verse 25, we see that husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And we know what Christ did for the church. He died for the church. So if a husband is loving his wife as Christ loved us, then he's willing to lay his life down for his wife. And so to be honest, I think the husbands kind of have a higher level, a higher bar to live up to than, than the women. Now I'm going to read first Timothy chapter three, verses one through seven. And it says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer or an elder, he desires a noble work. An elder, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. So this passage talks about the role in the church of an elder, of an overseer. And in our church, we interpret the word Mm -hmm. of elder and overseer and pastor all the same. Mm -hmm. So our church, if you want to call our pastors elders, they're also elders. And so that passage speaks of the leaders in the church that oversee the work of the church are to be men. And that's very countercultural and even sometimes counter mm-hmm. to what many churches even uh, stand for these days. But we feel that, that as, as scripture teaches, that is, is what it teaches. Now, another passage that is many uh, Christians like to point to as uh, another way that the Bible is misogynistic is 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 12. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. Let's talk a little bit about the word quiet or that she is quietly. That word in the Greek does not mean that the women are never Mm -hmm. to utter a word when the church gathers for worship. This would be completely contradictory to what Paul teaches about women in 1 Corinthians 11. And we're not going to read that whole chapter. Mm -hmm. But in that chapter, he tells the women how to pray and prophesy in church. So obviously, Paul's assumption is that they're going to pray and (laughs) prophesy, which means... His assumption is they're going to speak during church services. So you have to look at scripture and interpret scripture with scripture. And when Christians are commanded to pray for a peaceful and quiet life, that phrase doesn't really describe a life in which nobody talks. It's rather aims at a life that has no turmoil. So likewise here, that word quiet or quietly doesn't mean complete silence. It means instead that women are to be without turmoil. The term requires women to have a quiet demeanor and a spirit that is peaceable instead of argumentative. Now, it also says in that passage that a woman isn't to have authority over a man, or in many Mm -hmm. ways, we might say that is teaching, Mm -hmm. you know, men directly. Let me share a little bit about a personal story, but also to say, when Heather and I first started talking about this podcast, you know, one of the things we ask each other, because our church, we're not allowed as women in our church to teach men. Mm -hmm. We teach uh, preschool, we could teach children, we can even teach youth, but even in and youth, women. we're gender specific. 
So Heather and I talked about this when we started the podcast. Like, okay, are we, you know, Heather said, are we teaching men if we do this podcast? If Mm -hmm. men listen. Yeah. The scripture is teaching this about the local church, the body of Christ. As a podcast, we're not affiliated with the church. We're not a part of the church. This is a way that we feel that we're able to spread the good news of, of Jesus through a podcast. And mm-hmm. so we, we figure if men choose to listen, that's great. And we're not violating scripture there. But we do believe what the Bible teaches that women are not to have that kind of authority over men. And I'll share a story. Our church went through a really tough time in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. Our former pastor, there was a lot of turmoil going on then. And um, we were down to literally nobody at the church. And at that time, I was in the singles group. And periodically, in the singles Sunday school class, um, our singles pastor would ask me to teach. If mm-hmm. there were only a, like maybe one other guy that would teach and our singles pastor could teach, but because we were so short of men who could lead, we were in a dire situation. Yeah. As our new pastor, Dr. Cook, came, we began to, to draw more and more people in the church, more and more men in the church that were qualified. And the question came up one Sunday when I was teaching from a visiting guy, like, hey, do you all believe that women are mm-hmm. able to teach co-ed over men? And our executive pastor, who who was our singles pastor prior to our, for, prior to Dr. Cook's coming, said, no, we don't believe that. But we, right now, we don't have trained, qualified men that could step into that role. And she only steps into it when mm-hmm. I'm unable to teach or lead or when I don't have another man who is able to teach or lead because mm-hmm. we are so decimated from what happened in our church. When we did have the men there and they were trained to teach, I no longer taught in that environment. Now, as a woman living in the culture, I should be raising the flag of oppression like nobody's <laughs> business. But I don't feel that way at all. Yeah. Dr. Cook has done a, a fantastic job of teaching us what scripture teaches. And I would beg to say that before he came, our church really didn't understand scripture. And as a New Testament scholar, he really outlined what those passages mean. And so do I feel oppressed? Absolutely not. Do I feel that I'm not being utilized in the body? Absolutely not. I'm able to to co-teach our women's class that we have. I'm able to lead a discipleship group. I co-lead our women's ministry. I have Mm -hmm. a lot of opportunities and I don't feel at all that I'm not being used because I'm not teaching men. And I think that would be a prideful thing to say if that was my biggest beef was, well, okay, I'm doing all this, but you know, I really want to teach men. Well, okay, really? First of all, it's not biblical, but why? You're making an impact where you are. And I don't say that pridefully. I'm saying that anybody that's serving where the Lord has them to serve is making an impact. To look at scripture, I think a lot of times believers misinterpret this because they're not interpreting scripture with scripture. So Heather, if we look at women, whether they're single or married, how do they, how do women practically respond to what the Bible teaches and refute the culture's messages? So this is where going back to the, I told you about the essay I wrote when I was in my twenties talking about, I I think what had happened was I had, um, with some of my friends, we were talking uh, about a girl that had gotten dumped by a guy and 
the natural response of that group of girls was to defend her and to do so by basically tearing the man down, talking to each other, not talking to him directly, mm-hmm. um, but just saying, you know, he, he's stupid. He didn't know any better. Like, he, you can do better than him. And basically just a bunch of stupid attacks on his character, which had nothing to do with him. Like, he wasn't a bad guy. There was nothing wrong with him. Um, he just decided it didn't work out. And so that really spurred thoughts in my head about that group of girls. We were Christians and we were all Christians. We were talking to each other. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, okay, these are my brothers in Christ and we are tearing them down behind their backs because they decided, one of them decided he wasn't interested in one of our friends. Mm-hmm. And it really struck me. And so I wrote this long thing and I didn't do anything with it. I just had it written out just thinking about, okay, what are we doing here? And I don't think I realized it at the time, but basically it was a counter-cultural thing because we get these messages. And even back then, I mean, that was probably 20-something years ago, but we get these messages all the time that, you know, men are bringing us down. And if we get dumped by them, then they don't know what they're missing. And we're so great. And they're stupid. They're brain damaged. Like, well, that was actually a term, I believe, was used. <laughs> um, but, you know, those ideas come out, and we don't even realize it sometimes. And even if we're joking, and I've heard it with married women too, joking about their husbands or complaining about their husbands or just saying, you know, my husband's so such a dimwit and this is what he did today and he can't do anything right. And I've heard that women across the board, every age group, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm sure you have too. Oh yeah. Um, and I, you know, as it's from a single perspective, my response usually wants to be, well, at least you have a husband. Let's talk about what he does good. He's not perfect, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm I don't have a husband, so yeah. be be appreciative of what you have. I think that's a very simple way to combat this cultural ideal that women are better than men uh, when the Bible says that we are all equal in Christ. Thinking about what you say about, even if it's you're not married, whether it's your husband or your co-worker or your <laughs> pastor or your, just your friend, just a guy friend you have, your rel- relatives, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how are you talking about them in public? And of course, if you're married, much greater weight is put on how you talk about your spouse in front of other people, because basically that's reflecting on you. But either way, you're reflecting Christ. As you're, If you're a Christian, you're reflect, reflecting Christ in how you talk about other people other people, especially other Christians. And so thinking about that, are you treating men respectfully and how you talk about them? Or are you buying into those ideas that all men are oppressors, all men are stupid, all men are out to bring you down and to take your money and to limit you and your career moves. And so there's so many ideas out there that we unwillingly or unknowingly buy into and so we have to be very careful with that and that does play into the current war right now on complementarianism which is a big word but just meaning in the church it means that god has created men and women for specific purposes to fill specific roles um, and that that's where the idea the theology that women should not teach men that comes out of the complementarianism theology and so there's a argument out there right now on whether that's right um, which I agree that it's right I think yes it could be 
taken too far to where I've seen, you know, I've seen uh, and heard uh, pastors and theologians who have taken that to an extreme that women are, they, they should be under men's thumb, that women should submit to all men, whether they're married to them or not. And so I think it's very easy to, to take anything too far, but just on how men and women should relate to each other and then, then relationships in the church, you know, I, I personally feel complementarianism is, is accurate. Mm-hmm. I would say that most people would probably think from two single women that you wouldn't hear what we just talked about, to be honest. I mean, would you agree, Heather? Like, Yeah, I mean, especially today. Today, like, we love men. We know there's a lot of, there's bad apples everywhere. There's bad women. (laughs) And there's bad women, too. And so, you know, we believe what the Bible teaches. And we realize that this, you you may listen to this and go, you all are crazy. But this is what we believe the Bible teaches, and we're going to stand by that. And I think that'll get harder and harder as the days go by. Mm-hmm. When there are less and less people, there's a lot of, of debate, as Heather mentioned, on complementarianism and the role of women in the church, just even within our own denomination, Southern Baptist Convention, mm-hmm. um, where we have cut off fellowship with churches that have women as their lead, have considered women their lead one of their lead pastors. So it's important to to sit under good teaching, good solid biblical teaching to understand so that you can spot the lies in the culture mm-hmm. because I think it's easy to fall into the trap of, you know, hearing something and agreeing with it when really it's it's not doesn't line up biblically. In another way that the complementarianism, another way that it can be that can be taken to an extreme or distorted to an extreme would be to say that women are to never speak ever in church, which is what yeah. you were reading in Timothy, yeah. yeah, in Corinthians. That's not true, and I've I have heard from people that and read quotes from different pastors and theologians that that's an anathema if a woman gets up and, and prays in church or something, mm-hmm. which is not it's not biblical because we know we can see this right here in the New Testament. And so I mean we you know at Ninth and No we allow women, women to read, to read, read scripture, scripture before pray. their sermon. They don't they don't preach, but they right. they will pray. And read scripture. In fact, Heather herself yeah, did that. has read scripture and mm-hmm. prayed at our church. It's easy to take something to an extreme either way. And you have to make sure that you're not doing that. And and also making allowances for like what you were saying with um, when you had to teach men right. a couple times. I've had to do that before when I was in a church of 30 people. I went in seminary for a little while. I went to a very, very tiny church. And it was me and the pastor who were the seminary trained. Then there was another man. There's three of us who were seminary trained. Mm-hmm. And I was still in seminary. And I think the pastor was too. But no one else had any biblical training. It was a class. The adult, there was one adult Sunday school class. It was co-ed. Mm-hmm. It maybe had five to ten people at the most on a Sunday. There was like one or two Sundays where the pastor was out of town. And the other man was out of town. I don't even know who preached that day. I think maybe they had a guest come in. I don't even know. So guess who had to teach? Right. I, mean, I did. They asked me yeah. to teach. And I, it was weird. And I felt, you know, I felt kind of uncomfortable doing it. But there was no one else to teach the class. Right. But I do it. If you ask me, do I think I was in sin by doing that? I don't mm. at that yeah. moment. I didn't do it after that. And so there's some people who would disagree with that. But just to reiterate, like we, you can take things to an extreme mm-hmm. and say that, oh, Rose, you taught 
that mixed class one time you were in grievous sin and you need to repent, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> well, and one of the things our executive pastor said was, you know, you can guarantee you're never going to see her in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And you can also guarantee that she's under my authority. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's, like you said, I think there's, ex- there's times where that ha- that happens. You think of all of our missionaries that are all across the world and, you know, especially in closed countries and a couple is, is probably leading and teaching and maybe might have to do that yeah. because there's nobody else to teach yeah. the gospel. I also don't believe that is unbiblical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think people, like you said, again, back to the overcorrecting, people yeah. just go way to the other extreme. And I mean, we have women on our committees that, you know, women on our personnel committee, our budget committee, our different, you know, committees that make pretty significant decisions of our church and those women are part of it so Mm -hmm. we just really have to interpret scripture properly and let scripture interpret scripture so rose as we wrap up this segment let's just remember and i will add to this because i want to add to this thought oh i love it (laughs) i love when she adds to thoughts yes so our one single thought just to reiterate is to remember that the culture is lying to you don't overcorrect i love it don't overcorrect Let's move on to our one random thought. So my one random thought today is roll out the barrel. (laughs) So the first person to ever make the daring attempt to go over Niagara Falls in a wooden barrel was a woman. What? Yes. On October 24th, 1901. Now this 1901, first wave of feminism, people. (laughs) Annie Edson Taylor, a 43-year-old school teacher from Michigan, plunged over the falls. She survived with only a small gash on her head, but said she'd never do it again. But she did it. She's the first woman to do it. (laughs) Wow. Rolling over in the barrel. So, Heather, what's our Ricky (laughs) thought for today? Well, let me start by saying... I moved to a new apartment last week, so things have been a little crazy, and Ricky's been a little out of sorts, because cats, as we know from the traveling, it's, you know, taking them anywhere new is crazy and hard for them, but my one Ricky thought is, he's loving the new digs. He's loving the new digs. (laughs) Yeah. I'm in a a, a little bit nicer two-bedroom apartment now eventually work into hopefully buy a house eventually, but I'm just slowly getting there. But um, he is finding lots of, there's a lot more natural light in this place than there was in my old place. And so he's uh, stretched out on the windowsills now and taking in the birds and the squirrels outside. And finally uh, he was a little stressed and not eating very well for the first week. And he actually got a kitty cold. <laughs> he was sneezing <laughs> a lot. And so I took him to the vet and he's doing a lot better now, but he's loving his life. And we're, we have been taking a hiat- hiatus from cat school because things have been a little chaotic. But remedial Ricky will be getting back at cat school next month, I hope, um, going back to grade three. He's got to pick up. He's, he's, been, been, he's been in grade three for several months. <laughs> he's loving the new digs. All right. So that moves us into our last segment, our one single question. So here's today's question. Have you ever been a beneficiary of a random act of manhood? So a random act of manhood is when a man does something unexpectedly over the top to benefit you so you know 
just to show that just to show that men are there are great there are great guys out there there are great men in this world and men who still do very kind things for women who really yes. care about women yes well a lot of my uh, random acts of manhood have happened relate in relation to my car um, at different points in my life one that I do remember from seminary was and I don't know it's hard to pick a random one because. A lot of times it's when I've asked for help from people, but they were just able to come to my aid. Uh, but there's one time where this guy I knew at seminary who was needing, he needed a ride somewhere, I think. And at the same time, I had to get a new license plate on my car. And I was actually stressing out because I didn't have any tools on me. Um, and I didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> And so I was, I was kind of stressing because I had to switch out my license plate and I didn't know anybody that had any tools like, like hefty because my, my old license plate was rusted onto my car. So it was going to take something serious to get it off. So a friend of mine at seminary, he asked me, would you be able to take me over? I don't know if he had car issues or he didn't have a vehicle at the time or something, but anyway, so I gave him a ride and he, he said, well, just let me know if I can help you with anything to, to pay you back or whatever. And I said, Actually, yes, because my license plate is rusted onto my car. Do you happen to have any tools or anything to help me get this this license plate switched out? Because I was kind of stressing about it. And he says, actually, yes, because I, he worked for the facilities department at seminary. So we drove over there. He switched out my plate really fast. Um, I actually had, I think I had it with me for some reason. I must have just gotten it or something. But I had my plate with me and he... He switched it out for me and took care of it and like a low distress, which it seems silly, but when you're a young single woman in her twenties and have no resources, no tools, it, was, it yeah. was a big deal. So that was a cool thing. Another, this was totally not random because it's my dad, mm -hmm. but I have to give my dad a shout out because it's probably one of the coolest stories and he's very proud of it to this day. When I was in college, I think I was a, probably a sophomore, I was extremely busy. I had lots of exams. It must have been probably about midterm. It was in it was in the fall because I was in college marching band, and my car battery was dead, and I didn't have any means to get my car jumped and then get it somewhere to replace the battery, and so the place that I knew of was not open on Sunday. The only t day I had free because I was busy during the week was on Saturday. But because I was in the marching band, my whole Saturday was taken up with football game at Florida State. So you can imagine <laughs> it was insane in Tallahassee. So my dad, who lived three hours away, two and a half, three hours away, plotted out. He figured out what time the game was. He drove almost three hours to Tallahassee. Well, I was, I didn't see him at all. So like I was gone all day at this game. So he drove to Tallahassee, jumped my car, pulled out my car, parked his car in the spot, went and replaced the battery, drove back to my dorm, switched out the cars and then left before the game was over. Because if you know, if you live in a college town, you know how insane traffic can be on a game day. That's so, awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. And, that was, had to be, you know, what, 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that is still a story in our family that's, it's pretty cool. So thank you, Daddy, for taking care of me. Um, but We're that glad was, Daddy's listening. Yeah, he's listening. And, uh, but yeah, that's, um, it's just a neat, it's neat when 
not just fathers, but yeah. any any man who can come to your rescue like that or just do something kind for you. Rose, what is your story? So my story back in 2002, this is, I think will always remain as one of the coolest random acts. One of my great friends, Christy, uh, was uh, having her, her birthday is the middle of September. Mine is at the end. And in 2002, she was turning uh, 30. Well, sadly, at the beginning of September, her dad passed away. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't really celebrate, you know, right away because it was only a week or two from her dad's death. So we decided to postpone it a couple more weeks. And we did a, a party of all places at Chuck E. Cheese. I told mm-hmm. everybody we were going to have a party somewhere that was fun. There'd be no black over the hill stuff mm-hmm. because she already had had enough sadness in her life and we wanted to make this a fun joyful event and i mean you can't get much fun more fun than yeah. chuck e cheese even when you're in your 30s so what worked ended up happening is that it worked out that the party would, was going to be on my actual birthday so i told everybody i said look it's not it we're not sharing our birthday this is her 30th this is a big birthday for her. I want this to be great because I just want to do something to make her happy. And so I said, look, don't mention my birthday. It's not, you know, let's act like it's not my birthday. And so we were heading over to Chuck E. Cheese in the, you know, late afternoon. And I was at the at my house that day, earlier that day. And two guys came over, Brad Hughes and Blake Green. And they came over and they had roses a dozen or two roses and they put them all over my house and they detailed my car so and you weren't you were here when they put the roses yes around i was here they came to the door they just mm-hmm. rang my doorbell randomly i had no idea mm-hmm. they were coming they had roses in their hand they were wishing me happy birthday brad took and put the roses all over my house so my house smelled like roses Aww. and then they both they detailed my car Blake was really good at detailing Mm -hmm. cars. And so they said, we're going to clean and detail your car. That was precious and such. And and they said, you know, you sacrificed your birthday for Christy. We want to do something for you. Mm. And that will forever remain just one of the best random acts of manhood that uh, I'll never forget. Because it was so sweet and i wasn't at all upset about not celebrating my birthday yeah it wasn't a significant birthday it wasn't like 30 or 40 Mm -hmm. or anything so i wasn't really didn't bother me but i thought it was sweet that they did that that is sweet yeah well rose uh we wrapped up this episode it was a hot one it was a hot (laughs) one i hope you all will come back and join us again in two weeks we will be back on april 11th that's right and until next time don't follow your heart follow god We hope you've enjoyed One Single Thought. Our theme music is provided by Lindsay Cook, and we're so happy you joined us. Please be sure to share this episode with a friend, and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. We'd love it if you'd rate and review our podcast so more people can find us and join our tribe of listeners. 